Welcome to episode 222 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. In this episode, I will be talking to actor-composer Matteo Lewis. You know, if you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you'll leave a five-star rating and a comment. You know, your five-star ratings and comments to help new people find this show, or even better, if you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So if you tell somebody about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. As I mentioned, my guest is actor, composer, writer, Matteo Lewis. I spoke to Matteo this past summer just after his musical Boys Don't Cry closed its run at the Toronto Fringe. It's been a it's been a really awesome summer. Well, I mean, you had a show in the at the Toronto Fringe, so exactly, that's gotta be yeah. That's gotta be that's a decent start to a summer. Crazy, yeah. yeah. And that wasn't even the start of it because before that, I was I did a like writers intensive for um, for for a couple weeks okay. with with a group of a uh, bunch of young mm. people who just kind of want to write musicals, and we all oh, wow. just got together in a basement and like spent. A week just like writing and sharing our stuff mm. with each other and um and then after that i was in a production of the secret garden at the factory theater and then okay. i had fringe and then the day after fringe closed i flew to timmins ontario of all places mm-hmm. to music direct a production of bye bye birdie oh frank yeah <laughs> wow that, and then that's quite the summer so so yeah. august august yeah. has just been kind of chilling yeah i guess so yeah. <laughs> well earned it sounds like yeah it's, so, but it's been all the best things ever. I mean, that, I mean, when it's you know, it's good to be super busy, especially if you enjoy that thing that you're doing. Right? Exactly, that, that's that thing exactly. that you were sort of made to do. You know, exactly. So you were at the fringe. You were doing uh, "Boys Don't Cry," which yeah. is not based on the movie. No, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so I mean, I so. I had that thing during Fringe where you start out really strong, not just performing your show, but seeing as many shows as possible. Yeah. I hit 17 shows and said, I'm done. I can't do any because my brain was gone. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to see your show. So can you tell me a little bit about, about what Boys Don't Cry? What sure. So um, it's, a, it's a musical mm-hmm. about um, this family. Uh, so there's there's the, the main character kind of is this 17-year-old kid whose name is Jaden. Mm-hmm. And... Uh-huh. His older brother went to the same school, graduated a few years before, was like a big soccer star at the school. Mm -hmm. Their father was a professional soccer player before Mm -hmm. he died. Um, So now he's in this high school soccer team and kind of just following the same path as his dad and his brother Mm -hmm. in terms of like get the scholarship, go to the school, study whatever, who cares, get a professional soccer gig, play for two years. Mm And then be set for life. Right. That's his kind of um, trajectory. Mm -hmm. And he's good at it. 
but he doesn't, he's not as good as his dad and his brother were. And everyone kind of gives him more opportunities than he's kind of Mm -hmm. earned uh, because Mm -hmm. of who he is and not because of what he can actually do. Sure. So he feels a little bit kind of out of place and a little bit like he's just faking his way through. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and the other thing that's happening is that their dad um, died three years ago. Mm -hmm. And so they're all kind of struggling to deal (laughs) with the, the um, kind of leftovers Mm -hmm. of, of, the, their dad's attitude towards things because okay. uh, their dad was always kind of very um, like boys don't cry and man up and be tough right, right. and I don't want to see you wearing pink like that kind of right, dad right. you know like mm. oh you scraped your knee like boo hoo suck it up rub the dirt in and keep going you right. know that kind of dad yeah and he was like in the army and so then so that's kind of the setup mm. and then it all takes off when there's this new girl at school Mm -hmm. who's like this badass feminist who kind of takes an interest in Mm -hmm. Mm Jaden because she sees that he's kind of like keeps to himself and Mm -hmm. doesn't really fit in with his like jock culture that he that he kind of is thrown into Mm -hmm. so uh she finds this book of poems that he's written Mm -hmm. that he's never told anyone that he's written this book of poems and so she basically convinces him to submit it to a poetry contest. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he and gives him the confidence basically to quit the team. Mm. And then that like pisses his family off okay. basically. And mm. it's them kind of dealing with not living up to the expectations mm. set by the men who came before us. <clears throat> and maybe those expectations aren't necessarily the expectations that we need to be sure. meeting. Yeah. So where did where where did all of this come from? Where did you what was the inspiration for for writing this? Um well okay, so I've I've always toxic masculinity mm-hmm. has always been like my go-to mm-hmm. uh party topic, you know. Sure. I that's that's <laughs> my favorite thing to talk about sure. cuz it's obviously it's very like for myself and for the kind of person that I am, mm-hmm. like I'm not a 6 foot five jock you know i'm Uh very um uh what what some might refer to as effeminate in Uh a lot of ways um and and i've always been that way and i've always Uh liked that about myself Uh and and i've seen a lot of people you know get hurt by um these expectations of of how you're supposed to behave as a as a man you know Uh and and I've seen a lot of people get hurt because they have those expectations sure. of the men in their lives. Yeah. Um, that that men are going to hurt you. That then when the men in their lives do hurt them, they're like, well, what can I do? Yeah. You know, this is just the way it is. And and they they accept that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that has always been something that I am very, very passionate about and is very, very personal to who I am and what makes me different from most people. Sure. And so I knew that's what I wanted to write about. Okay. Yeah. And, and the story kind of evolved out of, it originally was going to be like kind of a song cycle format with like four guys, um, who who are who each come out and have solo songs right and it's actually the same person mm-hmm. in four different kind of stages of life okay um and then slowly 
I started expanding each one of the stories, and then one of the stories disappeared, mm-hmm. and the other three I started expanding. So I had like him as a kid, and then him as a teenager, right. and then him as a as an adult, mm. and then I decided to stop caring about him as an adult and focus on the teenager, and then. And then that's kind of what you see because you have still the remnants of that younger yeah. version of the story because there's this, the younger version of him comes out and through like diary entries, sure. yeah. we see kind of his relationship, what his relationship was with his father mm-hmm. when his father was alive. Um, so those two stories have stayed. And did you, did you write the music in the book and the lyrics and the... Yeah, all... The whole, the whole shebang. How long did it, how long, how long, what was the writing process? Like, how long did it take? I wrote most of the songs for the, for when it was going to be a quote unquote song cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I started writing the script, you know, the songs evolved and fit, kind of slotted into, mm-hmm. to where in the story I thought they were coming from mm. as I started writing the actual story around them and not just these song snapshot moments. Right. Because um, it was originally going to be a very last five years kind of thing. Oh, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like, these these are snapshots from the story. So then as I started mm. writing the story around it, I, I also have writ- been writing songs forever, but I've never <laughs> written a script for anything before. Okay. So that was the that was the hard part. Um where did where did you turn for that? What did you what did you do for that? Did you just just write or like, like yeah, I I drew a lot from kind of my own life and my own relationships uh, with my parents mm-hmm. in high school, um, and I got I had I could never have done it if I didn't have so many amazing intelligent people right. to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a table read um, last June, mm-hmm. so not. Uh, like June 2018, right? Because we were workshopping it in August of 2018. Okay. Um, and so we had a table read in June, and it was like just a disaster. And I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what exactly I was trying to do. And everyone was like, "The songs are great. You need to figure out what the hell you're trying to say." Mm. You know. And so when you said it was a disaster, it wasn't that the read, like the situation of the read. It was like this early draft that was like mm-hmm. not going well. Yeah. Yeah, this, the script was just, and I, I knew it too, going into it, I just kind of, like, I was trying to say too many different things, or I was trying to, I was trying to take too many different tones, and I was just kind of throwing crap at the wall and yeah. seeing what sticks, which is a good way to start writing, and, and, uh, but, but from there, I had this shell that was terrible and made no sense, but then from that shell, I could slowly start to, mm-hmm. so that shell has remained pretty much entirely intact mm-hmm. but just evolved yeah i mean the it's important like to, to be that messy early on right like yeah like, <laughs> it's one of the, the yeah earliest, thank god i didn't invite like the oh my like, god industry professionals oh you my know, god to, um one of the <laughs> earliest writing lessons that i learned was that that like your first draft is probably going to suck mm-hmm. and in fact it's supposed to because mm-hmm. that's where you like vomit all of your unformed ideas and then you have to try to fix them right you have to try to give them shape but the first draft Matt, Matt Murray once said to me yeah. um, he said the first draft is is telling yourself the story mm-hmm. nobody else yeah and then Neil Gaiman said mm-hmm. the second draft is the art of making it look like you knew what you were doing all along yes yeah 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 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Stephen King said, uh, write your first draft with the door closed and your second yeah. draft with the door open. Yeah. So that you, you know, you don't share that first draft. Mm-hmm. And the second draft is like something that people can read and they, like, they, they, they yeah. can take a look at it. And I think I, I think I made the mistake of sharing the first draft, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of glad that I did mm-hmm. because even though it was a flop mm-hmm. and everyone was confused and angry <laughs> at the end of it everyone was like why did i spend two hours reading this oh no. oh no the songs are great but oh my god which which is true yeah. and i mean i think any reading of a first draft will have that reaction but and even though that was the reaction i got mm. that wasn't necessarily um discouraging because i knew that i was kind of taking a risk by mm-hmm. sharing such an early draft but sure. I also didn't know what direction I wanted to go in for the next draft so yeah. I needed that feedback and sometimes you do sometimes sometimes you need mm-hmm. to number one to hear it and also just to get feedback from people you trust right exactly exactly and I'm so and I'm so glad that I had um like the people in that room that I that I had you know people who mm-hmm. I'm very close with and who I knew wouldn't like judge me, but I also mm-hmm. knew would be honest yeah. with me. And like, if, cause if I had put up that draft and then everyone had been like, wow, great job, then I would never have gotten to where I am now with the yes. piece. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very grateful for the, the honesty. Did you, you know? always know that you wanted to get it in the fringe or was that just like a way to get it? No, yeah. That yeah. was, uh, it was at the end of the workshop. I didn't really, I was kind of doing the workshop last summer as mm-hmm. a as a kind of test for myself, mm-hmm. just as a as an experience to write a thing and put it up somewhere. Yeah. And because um, before that, anything I had ever written, I was was a very like small scale. Like either I just like recorded the songs, yeah. or I like I put on a like mini production of it in my basement with my friends. I <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Um, but so so it was just for the experience of it <laughs> mm-hmm. that I that I kind of wanted to do that last summer um and then it kind of it went really well last summer because what we did was we had the red sandcastle theater and we had it for all of august we did shows on the weekends Mm -hmm. and then rewrites during the week oh wow okay which was and i mean that's just the way it worked out because the theater was available in the weekends yeah but that was the best thing that's ever happened to that show. Like, and it's like anyone, anyone out there who's like recording, a, who's, who's writing a show, like, that's what you got to do. You got to mm. put it on its feet, mm-hmm. rewrite, put it on its feet, rewrite. Mm. And that process, because you learn so much from see, having the audience in front of it, yeah. but you don't, you can't apply that knowledge if you don't then have another audience in yeah. front of it, then, you know, so yeah, that yeah. development was so good. Mm. And, and because it was so, it felt so, um, like it felt like I knew what track I was on yeah. and I'm seeing what audiences were responding to and what they weren't. And mm. we were adding songs and changing songs. And, and I had a cast of brilliant people mm. who just kind of took it and ran with it, which is also what you need to have for yeah. a process like that. Yeah. So shout out to, uh, Kaylin Bodnar, Aiden Bushy, <laughs> Peter Mundell, Ryan Hooper, and Grace Rocket. Nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, what and it, so when it did get it, did you get in the lottery, or were you on a waiting list, or like? So yeah, we got in the lottery for the for the teen. Oh, okay. Uh, the teen quote unquote category, um, 
Yeah. So when that came out, that was that was a weird thing that because I I didn't really plan for it, but people had said like, oh, you know, you should submit to this lottery yeah. with the show, and then if you get picked, then you can workshop it more, and yeah. and if not, then you move on to the next project and whatever. So I was like, oh yeah, all right, whatever, sure. Um, so I you know I put my little my yeah. little submission in, mm-hmm. and then I kind of forgot about it, and I was in school and. I so so I was in my first semester of second year, mm-hmm. and second year, you know, I'm I, I'm at Sheridan right now, mm-hmm. in, in the music theater program there, and uh, they really they really turn the crank up on you in sure. second year. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it was such a hard year, like yeah. academically to get through. And then on top of that, that was when the whole uh, Dear Evan Hansen auditions were going on. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I was in that process for like three months as well. And it was on the day I found out that they had cast the show was the day that I found out that my that my show was in the fringe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was like, thing like if things yeah. like if that's not proof that things are meant to be, sure. like nothing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what was how did you react to finding out that you were gonna be doing this at the fringe? Um I honestly had like no reaction. I was just sitting there and I was, I looked at it and I was like, oh, <laughs> like it just didn't, it didn't process to me hmm. in any way, shape hmm. or form. Still kind of hasn't. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask if there I was really, a point where, where, yeah. where you suddenly realized, oh yeah, I'm doing this at the fringe. It was when we, it was when we had auditions yeah. and there were people who came into audition mm-hmm. who I've seen on professional stages, like, and they were in my audition audition room you yeah. know and singing my songs yeah and, like it was like that's the coolest thing that could ever happen <laughs> like these people who i worship you know are like mm-hmm. s- learning my material yeah you know yeah. that's so mm-hmm. it was such a it was also such a like affirming experience yeah. to be on the other side of an audition of an audition table as yeah. someone who's a performer usually right yeah. to to see people come in and and you really you know you don't realize when you're the one auditioning but you walk out of that audition and you're like oh my god i was so nervous i bet they could tell that i yeah. was so nervous and it's like yeah they can but yeah. <laughs> every single person who comes in that room is super nervous yeah it's you learn so much when you're like on that side on of that table, side right? of the table things that you never knew yeah um, I remember the first time that I was on that side of the table doing auditions and watching people going in, going on and realizing how quickly I was like, no. Yeah. Like somebody walks in and you're like, no. Yeah. And, and, and describing and people are like, oh, but that's not fair. And you're like, yeah, but you just know. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. And the thing is, the other thing is that there were so many I wishes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when people walked in. And they blew my mind. Yeah. And I was just like, I want this to work yeah. so bad because yeah. I this person is just like so amazing and enchanting. Mm-hmm. But I just, just not for this part. Yeah. And there were yeah. so many people like that who came to the auditions who I was like, you are amazing. I would kill to work with you in another role. It's so know? it's so hard though, right? And that's so, like, that's just so, so hard to, to have to say no yes, to yeah. those people. Yeah. Yeah, it, it like yeah. that was that was something I wasn't I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I didn't the, realize how much that happens. The other thing that I didn't realize was 
how hard it is to keep track of people who are good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the, you'll, you'll find there's like the people who blow your mind and you're like, mm-hmm. there's, and those, there's very few of those. Yeah. They're the people who are terrible. And you unfortunately remember them with absolute clarity. <laughs> yeah. And everybody who's good, you could cast, you sitting around after a day of auditions. So I was like, what about this person? You're like, I don't even, were they here? <laughs> I don't know who this person is. Like, just so, just so many people become a blur. And it's so hard. And it's not, it's not them. It's like just so many people coming through. It's so hard. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing that I, the other thing that made it so difficult was how, like, how different everyone, because mm. it's a new show, too, yes. like, people, like, unless they saw the workshop at the Red Sandcastle, which mm. 99.9% of the people auditioning hadn't, yeah. you know, they've never seen the material before, they've never seen anyone do it before, they've mm. never heard the songs before, so they're coming in completely fresh, bringing their own take yeah. to it, and and someone once said to me, like, 90% of directing is casting. Yeah. And I was like, that doesn't, who, like, who cares if you mm-hmm. get the, like, as long as you have the right people, like, then you have to direct them, yeah. right? Is what I thought. Yeah. But then I didn't realize how much casting is an artistic decision mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a screening process. Yes, yeah. You know, it's not who's the best. It's really... What kind of person do I want? Mm. You know, because there were some people who came in for Roseanne, yeah. who's the 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 main girl in the show, who kind of sets the whole thing into motion. Yeah. And she needs to be. She's the only character in this show who knows what the hell's going on. Mm. She's got a head on her shoulders when everyone else is going crazy, and she basically she doesn't sing much until the end of like this the quote unquote second act because mm. it's a one act but the second part of the show and then she has these two big songs back to back where she like affirms Jaden and like tears down his like super macho mm. asshole their brother yeah and so these two songs are both huge moments and need to be so strong because mm. both of these guys need to completely like change their mindsets based on what this one person is saying to them that opens their eyes. Right. Um, and it needs to happen that quickly because we're in a 60 minute show. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> so, so like seeing people sing those songs, like it was so, it was so hard mm. to be like, what version of this song is going to be the most effective yeah. You know, it was really tough. It's interesting because, you know, doing a brand new show, mm-hmm. people coming to audition that for have not been infected by a Broadway soundtrack. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, they they are completely fresh. They have not heard it before. And so they're not trying to sound like somebody else. And so you get so many different versions yeah. that are so different from mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. You have people singing in completely different styles of vocal production. Like, yeah. like you have people coming in and singing it classically or full belting the entire thing. Yeah. You know, like... Mm. Whereas if there's a Broadway cast recording, you're like, okay, well, Adina Menzel belted the high F and defying gravity, so I should yeah. probably belt the high F and defying yes, gravity. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to head voice it. Yeah. You know, but you have people come in and head voice the stuff that yeah. you're like, oh, I kind of like it head voice. Yeah. Does yeah. it work? It wasn't, it wasn't written to be head voice. Mm. Does that work? Like that kind of thing. There's so many different options. Yeah, Everyone yeah. brings something completely mm. different because there's no template to work from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
What was your fringe experience like? Did you like? Oh my god, it was the coolest thing that's ever <laughs> happened to me. It was so amazing. Mm. I so we rehearsed for basically two weeks full time, mm-hmm. right leading up to it. Um, the cast, five people in the cast. Then we had our stage manager Maxine, who <clears throat> I go to school with, and Chris Wilson, who directed. So it was these seven people mm-hmm. basically in a room. Um, for two weeks mm-hmm. leading up to it. And it was the most amazing group of people. Mm. Like, I, most of these people had never been in a room with each other before their first table read. Right. And like, like one of them, we had cast someone to play Brock, the older brother, who then booked a gig uh, at the Stephenville Festival over the summer. So we had to last minute find a new Brock. Yeah. I had seen Carson play Gabe in Next to Normal mm-hmm. at Scarborough Music Theatre, mm-hmm. which was a fantastic production, by the way. Shout out Scarborough Music Theatre. They always kill it. Um, and so I had seen him do that, and, like, he had never met me. He had no idea who I was. Yeah. So, I, so I just sent him an email, and I was like, hey, would you be interested in reading for this part? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, why not? Yeah. And so... So he came to the table read and he had never seen the material before. Mm. Like he had never, he, he had sung like 32 bars for the audition and then done one scene. And I watched the videos and yeah. I was like, Oh my God, he's perfect. Yeah. The, like the, the, the scene at the end where, um, Brock kind of apologizes to his brother mm. and, but it's, it, it, he's a, he's a macho dude. So it's not like yeah. gushy, gushy. Like, I'm so sorry. Will you ever forgive me? It's like, yeah, like, what I said to you was, like, <sighs> not cool, I guess. You know, it's that <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 and yeah, the yeah. way that he, the way that he kind of did that, mm-hmm. so, like, it was so hard for him to say, but yeah. but he he did mean it. Yeah. That is a balance that was so hard to find, mm-hmm. and he got it right away. Nice, and so, nice. as soon as I saw him do those, like, 30 seconds of the scene, and I had seen yeah. him sing in Next to Normal, so yeah. I was like, okay, this guy's got a fantastic instrument. I don't even have yeah. to watch the video of him singing the song. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's our guy. Yeah. And so, we came to the table read without having, like, seen any of the material, sang one of the songs once. For, from some random 20-year-old kid he had never met before. Right. So he was like, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into, right? Because <clears throat> you never know, yeah. right? Like, so he walks in and he, and he does this table read and he's like on fire and mm. he's just clicking with the cast like nice. so well. And, nice. And everyone who, like like Sarah and Avery who played the mom and then Roseanne respectively, yeah. like they had met each other very briefly once to like sign the agreement for the like yeah. the festival agreement yeah. whatever with the equity mm-hmm. um and so like but like that table read just crackled yeah. because these people's personalities were just so on board and then exactly the moments that I wasn't sure about uh-huh. you know either got like particularly singled out as as being noticeably working mm-hmm. by the cast and they like um like the moment where uh Roseanne asks Jaden out mm-hmm. I was like I don't know how much I buy her actually like wanting to engage in a romantic relationship like this but yeah. so I was worried about that but then everyone in the table read was like oh wow you set that up so well and mm-hmm. I was like oh 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, those moments. Yeah. And then the moments that I wasn't sure about that other people said, this is confusing to me. I think this. Right. And I was like, oh my God, that's a problem that I've been having that I didn't know how to fix. Yeah. And now you notice the same problem I did. We're on the same wave. Yeah. And then you brought a solution forward that from your mm. unique perspective, like I obviously am yeah. not a mother of teenagers, but Sarah Stommer, yeah. who played the mother of teenagers, is a mother, is a mother of teenagers. Right, so right, right. she had so much perspective yeah. on what it means to be a mom mm. that I obviously only know from observing my mom. Sure. You know, and, yeah. and have never lived. Yeah. And so she was able to bring a lot to that character because that was obviously the character that was the furthest outside of like the realm of what I have sure. experienced yeah. because the other characters were high school kids and then yeah. uh, a little boy whose diary entries were <clears throat> right almost word for word my diary entries <laughs> as a 10 year old. So. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you'd always you were always writing music. Yeah. When did that when did that start for you? And also, like, were you always writing music for musicals? Well, okay. So, on on October fourth, two thousand and three, <laughs> my grandparents took me to see The Lion King. Um, at the How Princess of Wales, I was four. Okay. And I, so, and they were like a little bit nervous about a four year old sitting through a like mm-hmm. three hour show. Yeah. But I sat, but they knew I liked the movie, so they brought me, and I sat there for four hours, and. It, in act two, so at the end of act one, I was like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, no ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. This is what I'm doing forever. And they were like, okay, like you're four. That's cute. Sure. And then act two happened. It started and the guy playing Simba had to call out halfway through the show. And I remember it so clearly. I was four years old, but he had to call out. And then, so there was a 15 minute longer intermission than there mm. was supposed to be. And then a new guy came out to cover Simba. And so my grandparents had to explain to me, like, mm. well, like, this is live theater. Yeah. This is what happens is you never know what's going to go wrong. Yeah. Sometimes someone gets sick and then they have someone else <clears throat> who knows the part fill in at the last minute. Mm. And I was like, what? That's <laughs> awesome. Like, like, I just, just the way that it works, yeah. Yeah. the way that it it's live and mm. you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like that's, that was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me in four years of being alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I knew right then and there musical theater was right. my thing. Okay. And you know, I had always kind of been like singing songs uh-huh. as a kid that I would like make up, like as two year old, I would like sing little mermaid songs. Then I would transition seamlessly into singing a song. I wrote about a table. Right. You know, and my mom would be like, oh, what's that song called? And I'd be like, it's called Table. And I went, table. You know, but that was like, yeah. that's always been, I've always just been singing songs and they've gradually uh, grown more and more complex to including <laughs> more than one word. Yes. Yes. And yeah. uh, so the first time I really like sat down to write a musical or, mm. or music for a musical and, and actually intentionally wrote something down was um, I was in a kid's production of The Drowsy Chaperone. Okay. When I was 10. Nope. I was 11. Okay. And I played George, the best man. Mm-hmm. And the writers of the show um, and the original, like, Robert Martin and Janet Vandegraaff yeah. came to see the show. And, uh, and they had a talk back after about the process of writing 
a musical. And there's there's a line um, in the show about um, there's a line in the show where where the the man in chair says, uh, "Oh, dancers are are these these gangsters were dancers, which is not particularly intimidating unless you find dancers intimidating, which I do, but for reasons that would not be appropriate to the situation." <laughs> and and so they they mentioned in in their talk back that everything the man in chair says is something that they kind of believe or have thought about more right. or less. And so I I I put up my hand and I was like, so why do you find dancers intimidating? <laughs> <laughs> and and they were like, well I could never do that. <laughs> like, I could never do half the things they could do. And they're they're stronger than me and faster than me. And mm-hmm. and I just like I thought that was so cool how their own lives yeah. were put into this thing mm. that that I had now spent months with and learned and yeah. put on stage and this was someone putting pieces of themselves mm. into these words that yeah. I that I now knew so well but I had never even met them right like I thought that there was something so cool about that mm-hmm. so I went home and I said to my same my same two grandparents <laughs> um I said I want to write a musical Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, what do you want to write it about? And I was like, I don't know. I think maybe um, I want to write a musical about a guy who um, invents a machine that uh, lets him fly and then pitches it to a fair. I'll probably set it in the Middle Ages. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was probably studying Leonardo da Vinci sure. at school or something. And I was like, and... Uh, and so he pitches this to this like fair of inventions and uh, he wins this prize of gold. But then his idea gets stolen by the guy who runs the fair. And then the guy who runs the fair gets like the patent for it, which I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so so I, I started writing mm-hmm. this show which I called Wings, and I like, and so my grandparents were like, "Okay, you should like uh, map it out, like the storyline and where you want the songs to come in." Yeah, and so I did that, and I was like, "Okay, so he's he grows up on this farm, he's stuck on this farm, so I'm gonna put a song called Stuck Here," <laughs> and then gradually, like I went through the the outline of the story, and mm-hmm. I plopped all these songs in, and I still have somewhere on my computer all these songs that are. That are not good, but but kind of as a as a twenty year old looking back at me writing things when I'm ten, mm-hmm. the things that are <clears throat> my voice, quote unquote, like that I habits that I still have as a songwriter, yeah. you can see in these like very huh. primitive, interesting kids songs. Mm. It was. It, it, mm. It's been really fascinating to go back and look at that at mm. that material because I wrote all, out all the sheet music for everything, and, was, and mm. uh, so that was that was my first mm. musical when I was ten. <laughs> but you, I mean, I, you sort of made the decision about what you were going to do when you were four. Mm-hmm. And it, did anybody ever try to talk you out of it? Because you know, this is did anyone ever try to talk not a, me out of it? Not a not a not a. Not a Particularly lucrative one in some no, cases. No, yeah, not lucrative, not secure. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, my parents have always been very supportive of a career in the arts,、mm -hmm. provided that I have the. I keep my options open, is、right. the thing they always say. You know,、yep. don't close doors, is what they always say. Sure. So, like, throughout high school, they were like, they, they sent me to、uh, ESA,、um, <laughs> Tobacco School of the Arts, for, for music theater.、Mm -hmm. So, So they knew, they knew that I was serious about it.、Right. And they've, they've always like, enrolled me in theater programs from when I was really, really little、mm -hmm. and, and you know, vocal lessons and music lessons and,、um, and that kind of thing because、mm -hmm. they saw that that was where I, like, you know, where I could thrive and where I was passionate. And they also enrolled me in soccer and they saw、mm -hmm. that I did not thrive there and I was not happy there. <laughs> and, and,、uh, and, um, So, so they always, they always were very good about like、mm -hmm. kind of, I'm going to force you to try everything and then I'm going to get you to, I'm going to see what you gravitate towards and、sure. what you love. Yeah. And then I'm going to force you to work hard、mm -hmm. at the things that you do love. Right. So they, they did always, always maintain a, a, a standard with me of like, if you want to do theater,、mm -hmm. you can't just do it like, For fun. Yeah. Or, or you can do it for fun on the side, but then we're not paying like a billion trillion dollars a year for all these billion trillion lessons. Yes. Yeah.、Um, so if you, if you do want to do it just for fun,、mm -hmm. do it for fun. Yeah. But then focus on your school stuff. Right. And if, if you're serious about it, you have to be serious. So they did, they supported me, but then they also, they, they made me take Like all my sciences in high school、sure. and stuff. So,、mm -hmm. just so that I, I, didn't, I didn't close any doors. My dad、right. is a math professor、mm -hmm. at UOIT. Okay. And my mom is a research physicist at CAMH. She runs the MRI machine, takes、okay. pictures of people's brains. So, they're all like science, science, science. And like my dad's whole family is made up of like math and geography professors. And then I popped out and I was like, Theater! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it was, a, it was a surprise to them、mm -hmm. that, that they had a son who was so, you know,、um, thespian. But it sounds, like, it sounds like they dealt with it well. Yeah. Because, you yeah. know, I've spoken to a lot of people, and, and some people have the stories of like how, no, my parents are still asking me when I'm going to give this thing up. Oh, my God. Like that, yeah.、Right? And I, I'm, so, I'm so lucky to、yeah. have had the parents that I had and, and <clears> to. <throat> Have had the support from them that I did because、yeah. there are so many people who kind of have to, you know, pave their own way.、Mm -hmm. And if they really want to do this, they have to like reject their family,、mm -hmm. pay their own. Like my parents are even like paying for my tuition、yeah. and everything. Like they、mm -hmm. just, they really, they want me to,、yeah. to, they, they want me to, to thrive in this world if this、yeah. is the world in which I want to thrive. And that is, that is such, such a blessing、yeah. to, to, To have that support because、yeah. I, I, really, I really don't know that I would be able to do it without that、yeah. support. When you were in high school, though, of course,、yeah. when you're in high school, there's a guidance counselor who's supposed to like, help you along the way.、Mm -hmm. You're supposed to like, tell you <laughs> what you need to do to get into the school and things like that. I remember when I was in high school and the guidance counselor. Should this red light that says mute be on? Yeah, it's, it's recording. Oh, okay, cool. It flashes <laughs> if it's actually muted. So it's、cool. like clever. Believe me, I've fallen for that. But no, it's, it's recording. Believe me, I can see it.、Um, the, Lovely.、Uh, went to the guidance counselor. Yeah. You know, at that time when they're supposed to be, you're supposed to be like, all right, now it's time to apply to colleges. And the guidance counselor is like all set and you sit down. You're like, so what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to be an actor. And the guidance counselor went, What? <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, hmm. <laughs> I don't have anything for you right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, did you ever have anything like that? Or well, I went to a school for the oh, arts, so those guidance course, counselors yeah. were used to hearing that I, I yes, want to be an actor. Yes, thing. yes. Um, yeah, they were kind of like, "All right, do you know it's gonna suck?" Mm-hmm. And if the person said, "What do you mean? Being an actor is a dream. You get to star in movies and make tons of money and then party all the time," then the guidance counselor would be like, "Maybe do anything else." Yes. Yeah. But. If you come in and you were like me and you were like, yeah, I know the what makes this industry hard. I have like watched every YouTube video of interviews with everyone who's ever been on Broadway. Like mm-hmm. I just like and as I love and that's the thing that that makes me a little bit cuckoo mm-hmm. is that I love the industry as much as I love mm-hmm. the art form. Like just the way it works. It is crap. Mm-hmm. It is so crappy sometimes. But I just something about the the never knowing what else is gonna happen yeah. and never knowing where your next opportunity is gonna be and yeah. and like the lows of like not having any theater to do for like a year and not having any gigs and then the highs of all of a sudden in one year yeah. you have a billion and five gig like that's so exciting to mm-hmm. me and that seemed to me that's always seemed like such a rich and engaging way to live your life yeah and. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, <laughs> but but I have always like really, mm. really felt like that was the way that I wanted to live, mm. you know. So, um, so people, that was what the guidance counselors always, you know, said said to me is as long as you keep that attitude of yeah. like it's gonna be tough and I'm gonna have to work my butt off. And yeah. This isn't just like a fun hobby, but this is like my life's work. Yeah. Then you'll be fine, and I I really believe that. I really believe that if you, uh, if you take, like quote unquote having fun, out of it, you know, mm. and if you really just do do the work, yeah, like things will come to you, yeah, and and they won't always come to you, ever, mm-hmm. and if you're fine with that, then yeah. The, enjoy the things that do come to you and make the most out of them. And yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, when I went into theater school, I don't think I had as much clarity about how, you know, I don't know. I grew up as, in Ajax, a small town. You know, oh, like, geez. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I, I knew it was something I wanted to do. Um, but I don't think I had the clarity about how, and I think a lot of people who go into theater school don't have the clarity about uh, how difficult the industry actually is. Yeah, which I mean, in theater school is good for kind of helping you wake up to that. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people graduate theater school and we're like, oh, that was a nightmare. I never want to do that again. I'm going into something completely different. Some people do. And that's dope. Some people do. And some people last three to five years in the industry. And mm-hmm. then they're like, well, yeah. I've given it a go. And yeah, I think it's time to stop. You yeah. Know? And that's that's also dope. Yeah, dope. You know what? It, like it's there's no shame in that. No. Oh my God! You have a poster of Neil Gaiman's yeah, yeah. Rules, for writing. rules for Writing. Absolutely. I quoted. Yeah. I quoted Neil Gaiman before. Absolutely. I didn't yeah. even... <laughs> He's like that. That's, that's like, amazing. That's, that's like beside where I write. You know. Yeah. So that's like. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Um, I love Neil Gaiman. Anyways. Oh my God! What's did, you see good, did you see Good Omens? Pardon? Did you see the series of Good, good no. Omens? Dude. And we'll talk about Good that, Omens. Yeah. Good Omens. All right. Do you, have you read the book? No. Dude. 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, um, yeah, it, the I think you know you said there's no shame in it, but I think that that for some people there's that I put all this time into this thing, and now I've given up on it, which I think there can be a bit of shame in that. Um, yeah, which is which is unfortunate yeah, because you know what, <laughs> you tried. Mm-hmm. You gave it, yeah. You, and it, when you decided that it wasn't for you anymore, you left instead of like. But I, I think there's more shame in like forcing yourself to do something that isn't making you happy. Oh sure. Than there is in, you know, mm-hmm. owning what you, kind of owning where you want to be. Yeah. And being where you want to be. Yeah, I think I think that the shame in in that though doesn't come right away. Like mm. giving up on on the acting thing, mm-hmm. people often feel, oh, I guess I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. They go through that phase, which going keep if you were to pursue it and keep going at it, you wouldn't feel shame about it right away. It'd be much later on when you were like, I can't believe I did that for so long. I hated every <laughs> second of it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard because like career decisions. You know, I still say. You know, what am I going to do when I grow up? You know, <laughs> like, I think that that deciding, I think some people get stuck on their, like, this is my life now. Mm-hmm. And that's a decision that was made and that can never change. Yeah. Whereas, you know what? These things can change. Yeah, dude. Life yeah. is is a constantly changing thing. Yeah. It's flexible. <laughs> So what is the, like, do you have any other shows that you're writing? Is that something that, like, yeah. do you always I mean, have things on the I mean, go? I always, I always, I always try to when mm-hmm. I generally, as a person, when I don't have anything on the go, something mm-hmm. pops up yeah. in my brain that just has to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm helpless. I just, I have to like, <laughs> I have to do this thing. And even yeah. if it's like dumb and trivial, I like just got to do it. Cause I just like want to do it right now. And then I know in a week I'll, I'll be like, Oh, I don't care about that anymore. But things, things like that are constantly mm-hmm. coming up. Um, you know, I'll get, I'll get really into like practicing a certain like classical piano piece. Sure. Or I'll get really into like this last week. It's been Pokemon go. Like I've just <laughs> been real, me and my yeah. brother have just been spending a lot of time down at the beach, like catching Pokemon, like a lot of yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that have yeah. happened. Big overarching projects are, uh, right now I'm in the processes of like writing a first draft slash starting to mm-hmm. outline a show with um, my longtime best friend and collaborator, Daniel Goldman. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, what a gem. What an incredible guy. He's so smart. You should, you should have him oh, on right, this right, podcast right. Okay. at some point because yeah. he is brilliant. Okay. Um, and uh, so we wrote a show together in high school called Corporate Innocence, which is like a, a super over-the-top satirical uh, version of Macbeth. Okay. Um, set in a modern day office, mm-hmm. like it's like a shampoo sales company or something. <laughs> and this guy kills his bosses in order to become, uh, in order to become the boss of the, of the, like, um, of the, like, in order to become like the, I don't know what we called it. The regional, CEO. regional oh, manager regional I'm manager. thinking of for, okay. from, from the TV show, but yeah, like the boss of the, of the branch kind okay. of. Okay. And he, so he kills people and it's like, it's ridiculous and, and it's like super melodramatic. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, but like, we've always gotten along really, really well. And, yeah. and, you know, we, 
our brains kind of, he's the kind of person who you, you don't find a lot of these people who every conversation you have with him, he's always about what's next and mm-hmm. what am I excited for and yeah. what, what are we going to do? And his motto that he always says is the work continues. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's really dedicated to putting in the work for the, for the things that he wants to mm-hmm. do. And, and so talking to him is always so inspiring and always yeah. gets me going. So right now we're working on, um, this concept called, uh, right now the working title is losing Ellie. Mm-hmm. And so it's about a girl who's going into her first year of high school mm-hmm. and she has this like stuffed teddy bear that she's had all her life. And she mm-hmm. goes everywhere with this teddy bear, Ellie, and then she loses it mm-hmm. and she can't find it anywhere. And so her and her brother start like retracing her steps mm-hmm. to, and her brother is like a, going into his last year of high school, kind of like, like bummed that he has to hang out with his little sister, mm-hmm. but his parents are making him or they won't pay for his car insurance, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, so they go on this like adventure through the city, through all these places that Claire has been mm-hmm. where, and looking for this, for this bear mm-hmm. that is like a, just a, uh, a representation of like Claire's entire childhood and her right. entire self. Yeah. You know, she identifies herself with this, with this bear yeah. and losing it is, and, and, you know, it's, it's about like growing up because me, me and me and Daniel, we talk a lot about how like as, as young adults we've we've gone through we're just on the other side of of the biggest period of like growing up yeah that either of us have ever mm. experienced and it's really remarkable to see the people from that we knew in high school mm. you know to see those people again a few years later and see how different they are and how much <clears> they've <throat> grown up and how much they've matured and yeah. people who we thought were like super annoying in high school who we now talk to who are like really lovely genuine people and we're like wow what happened you know and and then on the other the flip side of that mm-hmm. there's the people who don't grow up there's the people yes. who are the exact same and refuse to yeah. look at themselves and try to and try to be any better and mm-hmm. try to grow up and so me and daniel are always about trying to be better yeah and and trying to grow up mm-hmm. and even if that means you know leaving things behind yeah. or losing things yeah. that you're attached to like a teddy bear mm-hmm. If it means growing up and moving forward, mm. then you can be grateful for the time you had with that, yeah. whatever your teddy bear is, mm. you know, but then you can move forward from it. Yeah. It's always interesting that, that moment where you realize that, oh, wasn't these people that were terrible in high school, that was high school, that was terrible. Yeah. And me, <laughs> like, like I look back yeah. and I, and I, and I think of all these all these situations mm-hmm. in which I thought I was such a victim and I'm like, Oh, you know, five years, five years ago, I was like, these people are terrible people. And now mm. I'm like, dude, just like suck it up and do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I've always, I've always gotten into disagreements with, with teachers mm-hmm. just, just because I, I don't like being told what to do. Ah, uh, see, that's always <laughs> a problem in, in school. Yeah. How is that? How is that? Do you find that, that you're still struggling with that in, uh, in theater school? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I always, and it really, it really comes from a place of, um, 
like just genuine enthusiasm mm-hmm. like i'm just really excited about all the things yeah. that we're doing and i just want to talk about them and i yeah. just want to be involved in them but um i understand how it's you know perceived often as like an arrogance or a, mm. or a, an insubordination that yeah um that i i try to take on so much of a mm. like not leadership role but um i i always i i really like to be able to talk to you know the people who i'm learning from mm-hmm. on a personal level and i really like being able to learn from doing things yeah. and and from and i really like being able to learn from you know doing my own thing as well yeah. i i have a hard time with like writing this particular essay because this particular class you have to do it mm-hmm. and, and so that and and this past year it was a really hard year for me because i i slipped a disc in my spine okay um that was like pinching my sciatic nerve so i couldn't walk properly for mm-hmm. a while and you know sheridan they make you dance five times a week yeah. right so it was really it was really frustrating for me to um like to, to to be in that rigorous training environment and not feel like I was failing myself because right. I wasn't able to do 99.999% of the sure. things. So I let that <clears throat> affect me really okay. negatively. <clears throat> um, yeah, which, which again, it's, it, I feel like I, I, in that moment, I thought that, I was doing my best, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone around me is telling me I need to do better, but I can't because I hurt my back. Right. So screw you guys. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I really, I've taken the summer to, to think about mm. that and I'm, I'm looking forward. I start school again next week. Right. So I'm really, you know, everything, everything is about, it's about learning. You yeah. know, the work continues. That's, yeah. that's, so I'm, I'm really trying to, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm trying not to mm. make make myself into such a victim anymore. Mm. You know? I, and it's shared in a three-year... got deep, but no, yeah. it's four years. It's a four-year. Okay, so you're like right in the literally right in the middle right now. Yeah, right smack dab. Wow. Which, yeah. which like, I know that you were talking about how, how difficult second year was, which is the... Because they ratchet things up in second year. What's the hardest year? Second year. Second, second year, really? Year. Yeah. Mm. Just because... In third year, there's a ton of work to do, but mm-hmm. it's all really exciting things. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get to do a lot of creative projects and a lot of like hands-on projects. And right. that's the kind of thing that I am really excited for. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that I've always been really good at. And yeah. second year, I kind of let myself get down because it's much more academic and it's much sure. more write an essay, yeah. you know, take a class as opposed mm-hmm. to like, Create a cabaret for yourself, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like create a piece of devised theater that you perform solo, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. coming up in third year, which nice. I'm really, so I'm really, I'm really excited because yeah. I just, I just get, I just get sad when I'm not getting my hands dirty yeah. and, and just like creating stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that, and, that, and I just get, I just get sad and I just get discouraged. Mm. I get I get discouraged uh, a little a little too easily I think. Mm. I that's that's something that I need to to figure out. 
because that's this industry is this industry can really sort of discourage yeah. you yeah 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 but on the upside you're you've finished second year but you've already produced a musical at the Toronto Fringe so how many people can say that yeah <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty crazy yeah. I I really don't uh I don't I don't feel like it was my um like it was it, the the show is very much my baby mm-hmm. but that that production of it I didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was me doing mm-hmm. it you know it was really it was really a team of mm-hmm. of people and I was it was I was just there to learn, you know, like the people that I got to work with, like I learned so much from, Mm. from getting directed by Chris, like so much as a performer and as a person too. It's interesting because, um, you know, you talk about like the, like working with a team and things like that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the show is. Mm -hmm. There's always, it's always a, a, a team. Well, it has to be, you know, and I, you know, that's even like, you know, I just did it, my solo show at the, yeah, first, commandment. still a, a team. Like there was a team mm-hmm. behind that. Yeah. And there's always a team because no theater exists in a vacuum. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's true. It's a very, it's a very collaborative mm-hmm. thing, yeah. which, which is, which is so rewarding, yeah. you know, and for, for someone like me, who's kind of. I've always been very mm-hmm. particular about having my processes and very, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, had my own vision that I'm following and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, mm. which, which puts people off and I get that. Um, yeah, but to, to be able to have the team to a team of people who is really open to talking and working together mm-hmm. And there's no hierarchy. It's mm. just a group of artists trying to make something awesome. Mm. Like that is that is such a beautiful thing to be mm. a part of. Yeah. Awesome. Oh man. Well, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I I, I love this. So. This has been a Homebody Productions production.